0: Lord, we're thankful for your goodness in our lives, and we welcome you into this house today. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. I have a a new book that's uh, coming out this Tuesday in bookstores. It's called One Small Barking Dog. Uh, it's subtitle is how to live a life. That's hard to ignore. And I'm not usually, uh, try to hawk my wares when I come around folks like you guys, because I come here quite a bit, but I do have a few copies in the bookstore this morning, or you can get them on Amazon, whatever. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this subject this morning, because I'm convinced over the, uh, last for at least the last 15 or 20 years in my own soul, I have come to be convinced as I pastor people and involved with the church that, that uh, the Holy Spirit has been trying to emphasize the value of the everyday Christian. I think that uh, as a church, we kind of tend to think we need another Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or somebody you know, to step in and take over. And, uh, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that I think God is just looking for everyday Joes and Janes. He's looking for the butchers and the bakers and the candlestick makers. And uh, uh, that will live out their ordinary lives in very extraordinary ways. Um, but we're not big on ordinary in American culture. In fact, uh, America is a hero culture. Um, we tend to think that the only people that really matter, that are worthy of noticing, are the stick-out people. You know, the people that are stick-out beautiful, stick-out rich, stick-out talented, um, fairy tale people, who uh, who seem to matter. They're the ones that are our idols, right? And somehow we, we think standout proves worth. So if you don't really stand out, if you're sort of average or ordinary or, um, you know, not all that stellar, we're kind of, we feel like we're cellophane, you know, see-through-ish. Nobody seems to notice cellophane, right? Uh, and something in us finds that notion of being cellophane or, or being insignificant. We find it untenable. We find it scary because we all want to matter. We all, we all need to matter. Um, now, don't misunderstand me. I, I think that uh, I love the idea that we live in a culture where people think anything is possible. I mean, there's something cool about that, that idea of, man, I can do anything. I, I can dare to dream. I can dare to excel. Um, and I'm convinced that everyone can become excellent in life. I really do. I, I think that, that if you're a carpenter, you should strive to be amazing at your craft. If you are a teacher, man, you should grow and, and get better at teaching. And if you're a, a cook, you need to get really, really good at it and invite me over. <laughs> if, if you're a, a you know a hunter or a fisherman, you ought to be a genius, man. Get really good at it. I think God smiles on when people take their stuff seriously and excel at it. I think it's good. I think you should be an amazing parent, an amazing spouse. I think you should fight to get healthy. I think we should be excellent in our health. I think, I think we can have better lives. We should fight for a great life. Um, uh, There's a great text in Philippians 4 which shows that for believers, people that have encountered faith and have God in their lives, really, not only do we have our human strengths, but we have Christ undergirding that and we should be able to accomplish great things. Uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's beautiful. But but, but there's there's a downside to this I can do anything thing. In, in fact, uh, you know, we tell our kids that, and there's some good sides to it. But there's, but sometimes the kids take it, or people take that I uh, can do anything into an "I Have a Dream" ganja. You know, they're smoking their own ganja. And uh, uh, you know, just watch the first part of the uh, uh, of any American Idol series, and you have all these people that are on there who think they can sing. Who their friends tell them they can sing. Their parents tell them they can sing. They don't realize everybody's lying. They can't sing. They suck eggs. <laughs> and then when they don't get, you know, put, good to go to Hollywood or get to go to the next level, you know, Simon, Kyle's trashing my dream. I want to be a famous singer. I'm supposed to be the next American Idol, right? And they get all freaked out about it. But you know the adage "You can be anything you want to be," as cool as it sounds, it isn't true. In fact, it it should be recalibrated to say this: "You can be anything you want to be if you have the capacity for such things." See, we have different capacities for things. You know, I'll be honest with you. I am 54 years old. And there is no way as much as if today I dreamed I want to be part of the NFL and be a star quarterback. I mean, I can dream away, baby, but I'm smoking crack if I think I'm going to be an NFL player. There's no way old guys like me, besides the other problems I have, like being too weak and a tad fat, now, you might be able to mitigate some of those issues, but it ain't going to happen. I am too old to be in the NFL, and the reality is that in another five or ten years, that will be true for Brett as well. <laughs> you heard it here first. There's a cool verse in Psalm 139, and the psalmist is praising God because of how he was made with the capacities that he has. And he says, for you, God, created my inmost being, you you knit me together in my mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That idea is that it's very intentional, that God purposely made you. The things that make you laugh, the things that make you cry. The things that sort of get you, you know, stirred up and excited and the passions that you have, the interests that you have, these are all part of God's activity in creating you, giving you certain capacities, certain passions, certain dreams, certain certain uh, capabilities. Those are all talents. Those are all things God fearfully placed in you and the psalmist is saying this. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was wove to, wove together, woven together in the depths of the earth. He's talking while, while he was in his mom. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All, listen to this, all the days ordained for me, all of the capacities, potentials, possibilities of my life. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before I popped out of the womb, you had written stuff about me in your book. How many of you like to peek into the book? Yeah, yeah. There's a book on you. You're a dream of God come true. Right, and so understanding somehow in, the, uh, in your heart, you need to understand God purposely created you. He put stuff into you. Uh, have you ever read the the story about the um, Goldilocks? The bears come home and and uh, they say somebody's messing with my porch, Then uh, they say somebody's messing with my chair. And they say, "Well, somebody's been messing with my bed." And at the end of the story, they run into Goldilocks. See, the reality is, you can discover some of the pages of this book by just looking at yourself and realize God's been messing with your porridge. He's been messing with your, He's been messing with your interests. He's been messing with your passions. He's been messing with your, with your capacities. And, and in a very real way, we get all that given to us. And as we open it up, we can, we have all kinds of possibility. We can dream. We can imagine. We have all kinds of yeses. It's not unlike getting the uh, if you were a kid, if you ever got those. Um, Uh, rector sets they came in a big old box you know and uh uh, and when you open the thing up they have all kinds of possibilities in there right i mean you can make like here's a uh, a cool car uh, and then you can make you know this is a weird car if you're in a weird mood and here's a ferris wheel in case you're into ferris wheels and then you can even like make big old buildings you know that are not really real but you can't really live in that building but it's a cool building right? But, but so you have all these possibilities that you can do from an erector set. You, you have this potential, these things in you that you can pull out and play with. You can pull out and examine, you can pull out and imagine all of that's really, really cool. But the truth is you cannot build a real bridge with the stuff that's in that box. If you think you can, you're smoking crack because it's beyond the box, right? See, you can't do anything you want to do. You can only do the things that are in your box to do. But that isn't limiting. That's a call to strive for excellence. That's a call for us to get our stuff out of our box and go after it. To glorify God and to make the world a better place. Now, the truth is, some of us come with little boxes and some of us come with big boxes. you got big dogs, you got little dogs, right? Uh, big dogs... Uh, You know, God's given some pretty amazing people in the world. There are some people that are extremely talented, just amazingly brilliant, stunning communicators. They can catch the imagination of huge groups of people. I mean, there's some really amazing people. It's easy to see how they can change the world. They create shock and awe just by walking into the room. We all know of people like this, but those are not the only people God created. God also made people that are smaller, the small dogs. And to believe that being a small dog is good in a, in a, in a, it's really a hard sell in a big dog world. Most of us have bought into the big dog lie. We think we only matter for big dogs. But, but I'd like to suggest this morning that God is the author of both the great and the small. The Bible actually says that he's the author, he's the creator of the great and the small, which begs the question, why would God make anyone small? Does he hate us? See? Why? Why? Yeah, thank you, whoever said that. I don't know what you said, but it was great. It, 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 you know, why isn't everyone amazing? Why why aren't everyone stick out talented? Why isn't everyone stick out uh, brilliant? Why can't some people sing in tune, right? Why can't I get math better than I get it, right? Why? I mean, you, you, you got to ask that question. And, and, and I have some theories about that. But before I get into those, let me say, uh, point out that Jesus was both a, a big dog and a small dog. He starts out small. He's born in a manger. That's pretty cellophane-ish, right? Pretty nobody-ish. You're born with animals. He uh, grew up in a in a small village that had a bad reputation, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> he was raised in a home of a carpenter, and Jesus it turned out was a blue-collar worker. And uh, he wasn't a politician. He wasn't an aristocrat. Uh, he didn't. He just wasn't in, in, in a place of power and it isn't that jesus didn't want to start out big you remember the famous story when he's just 12 years old and they had with his family they had gone and relatives and stuff they had gone to jerusalem for a celebration and they're leaving the celebration and mary and joseph thought that jesus was with the other family cousins and stuff well they took off they're gone for three days and they realized jesus isn't with us so they head back to jerusalem to hunt down jesus and and they stumble across him in the temple and Jesus is jaw jacking with the people, and you know, people are going, whoa, he's amazing, you know, he's smart, he's asking brilliant questions, and, and Mary says, Jesus, hey, why did you do this to us? And Jesus said, well, what do you mean? He said, I must be about my, my father's business. I got to be about the big dog stuff I'm called to do. He was called to be a big dog, right? And yet Mary said, let's talk about this business, you know? <laughs> and brought that little boy home and the scripture says he stayed home and he worked and he he ended up being there for another 18 years doing everyday stuff you know cutting up wood getting splinters dealing with customers living in that little town Learning how to be an everyday person. But what's provocative about this is that when you study the Bible, the Bible guys and the Bible gals, and you study the the saints that have lived through history and their stories, it seems that this realm of ordinary life, it's it's like the chosen habitation of the eternal. It's almost like God loves to sit right in in the middle of the ordinary. And he doesn't destroy it, he enriches it. (coughs) Excuse me, it appears that the beachhead for God spilling his life into the world, is through what we dread, the ordinary. Jesus brought the eternal into the world, through the ordinariness of life. One of my favorite authors is Dallas Willard. He wrote a book uh, called, um, The Divine Conspiracy. It's worth reading. And this is a quote from that book. He said, The obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary, is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine. A place where the life of God flows. What if that's true? What if God's longing to pour into your life? What if your job tomorrow and the moments of your job tomorrow matter every bit too much to God as this moment of preaching? What if what if uh, when you're at home this week eating dinner with your family, what if those moments of dinner matter every bit to, as much to God as our communion matters to Him? What if those are moments of Uh, Where he wants the eternal to spill into. That's what the scripture suggests. Well, the question is, why would God do this? Why would God make us less or small to fit in that kind of thing? And my first theory is, what if small is... Thank you so much, Lathan. You'll not lose your reward, you South African. (laughs) What if small is really big for God? Okay, think about this. Think about bombs for a minute. <clears throat> As modern warfare developed, scientists tried to big, build these bigger and bigger and bigger bombs, right? And, and but someone started thinking and suspecting. Some of the scientists started suspecting that maybe the greatest power it, it would be found in the smallest place. You remember where? The atom. And so they did research, and they and sure enough, when they figured out how to break the atom apart, they, they, they figured out how to release the potential that was inherent in that particular bit of small, it ended up unleashing a staggering, never-before seen power. It turned out that an incredible amount of power really did reside in the smallest place. What if that's true for our lives? What if God really wants us to step into small bits and pieces of our lives and every once in a while spill into that and blow stuff up? Transform things, transform people, transform lives. What if he loves small moments? And and you know, when I got to think about some of these issues, I realized some of the people that were the most impacting in my life were people that did little things, a little comment from a teacher, a coach, a friend, a parent, and and little events that would take place that they seemed like they would do, and they would, they would just like explode in me and became formative in my life it wasn 't the big heroes and the big amazing people I've run into some amazing people and met some you know uh, people that are famous and stuff you know, and when you meet them it 's kind of cool because you meet them but you know the only thing I used to feel when i when i 've met those kind of people, you know how I feel less <laughs> small worthless <laughs> right so but but when i've really been impacted by people it's been in little small ways i was telling the guy just in the in the uh, breakfast there's a fellow that uh, uh we grew up in our uh, i grew up in our in a little Nielsville assembly god church and there was one of the elder guys who was a guy named brother Hamlot. he was about six four portly guy and uh, uh not an amazing communicator not a great academician i mean he was just a normal joe he's a farmer and, but, but, he was just interested in people and he was interested in me. I'm just a, I'm just a punk kid, you know, going to high school and uh, he would always ask me how my week was. He would always smile. He'd always greet me, He'd always give me a hug. And I remember thinking I mattered to him and, and how that impacted me that this guy from another world, another generation, uh, uh, it, you know, was, it would, would take time to me. And he would ask me to come out to his place, you know, and check it out. You grew up on a farm, stayed on the same farm out in Willard, Wisconsin, which is nowhere. And I remember going out there and going to his uh, farm and, and uh, uh, checking it out. And he showed me around the building, showed me around the farm, showed me the animals. And they were walking back to the house. And we crossed by this area, this little field area. And he pointed over to me and he said, he said, you see right over there? And, and I looked and he said, when I was just about eight, he said, I was out there right over there. And he said, God met me. And then I looked at him, he, I could see just a little bit of tears in his eyes, just a little tad. And he said, I, I could feel him smile. And I remember like that little, that little moment went into my, that little Adam moment went into my soul and exploded. And I thought, I want, I want God to smile. I want God to meet me. And you know that all of these years later, that little moment still informs my life. I still want to meet God and I still want to smile. It has become a part of who I am. It was like this Adam that blew up this moment, this tiny little moment in my life. That blew up into something that mattered, that was significant. And you know what's interesting? His brother Hamlet, I never even told him that. He's now since gone to be with Jesus, had no clue that he had that kind of impact in my life. See, I'm suggesting to you, what if in our lives, what, what, if, what if, if if, we're honest that God, his greatest power is found in the small in the lives of everyday common people. And pew sitting people. That would mean that small is the new big. Right? Here's another theory that I have about this business of small. Uh, what if God creates small because small fits where big doesn't? My uh, daughter. This was back in the 90's when cassette tapes we're still in existence. Uh, and uh, I was turning in this car, and it was a, it was, a, it, it had a compact seat, and, and the, and the seat was really low to the floor. There were several cassette tapes under there. I was pulling them out, and then the one that was back there, I, I kept reaching in, and just as I grabbed it, it would push it back you know, just a little bit, and I'd reach in further. Of course, you know, I'm going deeper with my arm, and my arm's fatter, and the seat's crushing it. And by the time I do two or three times, I'm, I'm nearly committing suicide to get that tape. And so I'm in there doing this and and, and Lissa, who's my little daughter, eight or nine years old, she said, Daddy, I said, just a minute. She said, Daddy, just a minute. I'm getting it. Daddy. I said, what? She went, here. (laughs) See, she had a little arm and I remember thinking when that happened, small fits where big doesn't. See, what if God purposely has articulated some of us to be not so quite so brilliant, not quite so amazing, not quite so gorgeous, to fit in places, because the gorgeous, amazing, stick out people have entourages around them. They can't go anywhere without being seen. They're too obvious, right? But what if God wants to get you into that office, into that home, into that neighborhood, into that classroom? And in order to get you there so that you can, you can make a difference there, he had to sort of pale you down a little Uh, there's a great story about this this uh, saint telemachus he he uh, was an ordinary monk in the fifth century and uh, this is about 404 Uh, and and what was going on was that the 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 emperor of rome honorius he he was he was a christian he'd done a lot for christian uh, activity but he didn't stop the gladiator games and if you know anything about history of the gladiator games they were brutal it was mass murder of people for the entertainment of the crowd it's horrible. And so, little Telemachus was a, a unknown monk. He was not. He was an everyday monk. He wasn't uh, a, f- a famous teacher. He wasn't uh, anybody that any a leader in the church. He was just you know a guy that tended the gardens and that kind of thing at the at the monastery. Well, he hears about this this activity and all this. And, and one day he heard all the, the the ruckus that was going on. So he wandered into the Colosseum. So he goes and he doesn't really know what's going on. And he's checking it out. He's just you know from the country podunk not, uh, monk. And he's watching what's going on. He realizes, oh my gosh, these people are killing each other. And everybody's yelling. At the crowd is blood. Saying, yeah, you know, they're loving it. And so he panics and says, no, 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 no. And so he runs out onto the arena floor, climbs over the, the barriers, gets out there to try to stop these two gladiators from killing each other, which made them kind of back up. And, and when the crowd realized he was trying to stop the entertainment, bunches of them rose up, grabbed stones, and stoned Telemachus to death. That wasn't the end of the story. When the emperor heard about it, he said, you know what? That was a Christian thing to do. He was willing to put his life on the line. And the emperor decreed the games illegal. And this little monk, this little unknown monk that could sneak into a crowd precisely because he wasn't amazing, because he didn't have an entourage, because he could sneak into a crowd unknown, he was able to change the world with one single act. What if, what if you matter? I saw this CNN story where this Japanese fella had set up a whole arena with a million dominoes, a million dominoes. That's a lot of dominoes. You know, those little guys. He set them up and then as the cameras were rolling, you know, he kicks them over and it's going through and it's pretty dramatic and all this thing's going on. Well, my evil mind thought what if somebody had snuck in in the middle of the night and pulled like 20 of those puppies out of there it would have stopped you pull a couple dominoes out of thing and it stops the whole deal see what if our little obediences are little dominoes and what if we're connected to something greater than ourselves and what if when we step out of the game because we just don't think we matter that God has to reset the whole thing what if you matter? then my last theory about this is small is always connected to something big somewhere down the road I had um, uh, was preaching in St. Louis, Missouri <laughs> and, uh, and I had gone and I was in the mall because I was trying to kill time because the thing didn't start till 7 o'clock. It was about 2 in the afternoon. So I went to the mall and I stumbled into a successory store and I'm looking at all the stuff they have in there. You know, they've got those quirky, quirky, little, uh, quippy little, uh, you know, uh, work things and in their little, uh, uh, you know, sort of positive thinking. They, they're cool. You know, successory things are cool. So anyway, I'm in there looking at some of the books and looking at some of the plaques and out of the corner of my eye, I catch the gal who is tending to the store. We're, we're all by ourselves, just me and her. And she's turned toward the corner of the wall. And when I looked at her, I immediately sensed in my heart. And I'm not one that's super God speaks to but, uh, all the time. But, but uh, something in my heart says, something's wrong. It was like an alert from the Holy Spirit. Boop, boop, you know. Something's wrong. And I remember looking over and I, and I stood there for a few moments. And I thought, you know, I'm way too selfish to really think about anyone than myself. So this has to be the Lord. <laughs> so I looked over again and she had turned. As little, and I could see she was crying. So I meandered over to the counter and I I looked at her and she she put the phone down and she kind of looked at me. She was trying to compose herself to talk. And I said, I'm said, i over here just minding my own business and and I'm a pastor. and, and And when I looked at you, I felt, this may sound crazy to you, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said I'm supposed to come over here and pray for you. Man, she broke out in a just hauled out ball. I mean, cartoonish. Rah! You know, just started crying and and crying so deep that she started to hiccup you know that kind of you know, <laughs> slobbered and hiccupy 20 year old kid you know 25 probably 25 year old kid. anyway so so i i i talked to her a little bit i prayed with her i sensed god's presence it was so very sweet i never did hear a word out of her don't know what happened but as i'm walking out of the store heading out I'm, i i heard in my heart i kid you not i heard in my heart what if that was the most important thing, the greatest thing you've ever done? Now, I didn't like that. Because I thought, well, what about all my preaching? And I've written some books. You know, don't they matter? Right? The big things I thought would, you know, that I thought were big things. And and my mind started wandering a little bit. I thought, well, what if, imagine this. What if this girl was going to get a divorce and maybe praying for her, you know, helped push her in the right direction and they ended up mending the thing, getting real help and being serious about it. Maybe they have a baby. Maybe that baby grows up whole and gets married and they have a baby. Maybe that baby goes on a short transmission trip to Chile and they get to Chile and they win someone to Christ. That little kid wins someone to Christ. It ends up growing up and becoming the Billy Graham of that. Chile world and wins hundreds of thousands of people to have to to, uh, to Christ. And what if I'm standing at the judgment seat of Christ and I'm just standing there and Jesus said, Now I, I wanna I want to call attention to these three hundred thousand souls that came to me in Chile and I wanna I wanna just say thank you to to the person that's responsible for this. And I'm going, Yeah, I wonder who that is. And then Jesus says, Ed <laughs> I go, uh Excuse me, <laughs> I think you're mistaken. <laughs> I've never been to Chile. <laughs> and what if Jesus says, "Well, yeah, you did uh, that day in accessories?" What if we're connected to something much bigger than we think? And what if there's mystery in this? that, yeah, God has some big dogs, but what if the small dogs are even more important than the big dogs? What if the big dogs do some big dog thing? What if we small dogs are all connected in some mystical, amazing way and we actually start to change the world? What if God has us strategically placed in the world precisely so that he can let off atomic bombs and change the world? What if the reason the church isn't winning more is because we're waiting for big dogs and we're not being who we're called to be? One more thought. Those of you that are aware of... uh, of organizations powerful government agencies like the cia or the uh, nsa or or the fbi a lot of those operations they have their covert operations and it's those who work undercover that have power precisely because no one knows who they are have you ever seen a an undercover agent interviewed on a show they don't show their faces and they change their voices why because the power of their lives is the secrecy of their lives And they can sneak in. Their identities are hidden. They don't have public faces. What if God has called many of us not to have a public face because he wants to get us in to do some top secret stuff? What if we're part of a mission that's bigger than us? You remember the Mission Impossible series? The the TV series, for those of you that are ancient like me, and and then the, the new movies that came out in the 80s, 90s? Uh, those, uh, it, it started, I mean, these guys were all undercover that, you know, some of them would come into, you know, when they came and they picked their team and they'd walk in as elevator repairmen. They knew they weren't elevator repairmen, but nobody else did. They, they didn't, they, they were undercover and they were there to disrupt some things, to change some things, to protect the world. Right. And so they'd walk in, they wouldn't walk in in their elevator repair stuff and go, oh, hi, I look like an elevator repairman. but Really? I'm on a mission to blow up this building. No, it's precisely their secretness that gives you know, that's why dun dun It's like cool. Right? There was coolness. See, see what if people just think you're only a teacher? What if they think you're only a carpenter? What if they think you're only what if your kids think you're only a mom? They don't know there are no only's in God's economy because in reality even though you're you're coming across like a dental hygienist in the back of your mind you're thinking dum 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 <beetroot> You know what this would mean? You know what this would mean? It would, it would mean you matter.
1: If you buy his book, as you open up the book, there's this pop-out that jumps up, and it's him turning a somersault special discount i'm gonna invite ushers if they would come and the worship team as they return back this morning we're going to be moving into a time of communion in a few moments we're going to be sharing with the bread and the cup that represents the body and blood of jesus and we're going to be t- sharing that but before we do pastor ed said something right at the very beginning a phrase that rang in my heart what about when god begins to mess with you What happens? I believe this morning there's many, many people that are sitting here that have been experiencing God showing up and messing with them right now. Maybe it began right at the very outset of the service as we started with our worship. As we began to declare praise and thanksgiving to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you began to feel, someone's messing with me. (laughs) Maybe it was during the prayer time. Maybe it was while Pastor David was preaching and the Word of God was going forth. And you began to feel that, that, that... Someone's messing, messing with you. You know, sometimes when God shows up and the Holy Spirit shows up and He begins to mess with us, begins to touch areas in our life, sometimes it's not always that comfortable. We get a little uncomfortable at times. Because we realize this is not about how good I am, what I am, what I, but it's about Jesus and He's touching my life. And there's areas in my life that I need Him. I need to repent of. I need to get my life Straight. I need to confess my sin. I need to repent of my sin. I need to, by faith, accept Christ into my life. There's a short couple of words out of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 in the Living Translation. Just the last part of that verse. As we prepare for communion here. It says this. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now we're entering into this. This is... Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week and looking forward to as we celebrate the death, suffering the death and the resurrection of Jesus as we go into Easter. What Jesus did for us on the cross was that he shed his blood. He died. He suffered and died so that you and I could have freedom from our sins and be set free. And this morning there is I'm sure many people here that are needing to be set free from their sin and in a few moments i'm going to pray a very simple prayer i'm going to invite all of us to pray the prayer after me to repeat it after me and if you're here this morning and you're praying that prayer from from your heart, maybe for the first time maybe you've prayed it before but this morning there's something different the holy spirit's messing with you in a new way when you pray that prayer this morning god comes and he sets us free from sin and death Very important part of our service. Then we're going to enjoy communion together. We will partake of communion. But we want to give you an opportunity this morning to pray that prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to touch your life. Would you bow your heads with me? I invite you just to pray this simple prayer after me this morning. Would you pray it after me? Just say this. Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin and by faith ask you to come into my life as my personal Savior and my Lord. Now if you just keep your heads bowed just for a moment. If you prayed that prayer this morning and the very first time or you know that you're praying it from your heart this morning, I want to ask you to do one other thing for me. Would you just, if you're praying that prayer for the first time, would you just look up and look at me directly and give me a chance to see you? Have you prayed that this morning for the first time? God bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you for those that prayed that prayer this morning, accepting you into their life as their personal Savior. And Father, we just receive that this morning, and we pray that you would continue to mess with them in their lives. And we give you praise for it. In your name we pray. Amen.